0: converse to begin today's broadcast of graceful truth to know someone requires
1: a genuine interest getting to know a person involves spending quality time with that person see in a meaningful and a progressive relationship each person in the relationship reveals himself building an intimate relationship doesn't happen in a couple days we know that it takes a lifetime well Paul here says that he wanted to know Christ knowing Christ was his main goal in life. What a wonderful goal it was.
0: Welcome to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will return us to the book of Philippians. It's here that we have some marvelous words from the Apostle Paul directing us as we look forward to the year 2010. With the year 2009 behind us now, it is with a bit more hope that I think many of us look forward to the new year, looking for change, looking for a better year than last year. And again, it is with that thought in mind that we turn our hearts and our minds towards Philippians here, and the words of the Apostle Paul bringing about some real hope found only in the relationship with Christ. With this edition of Graceful Truth, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Today we're going to continue to look at the Apostle Paul
1: in Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking at new beginnings. And here is a man who penned a majority of the New Testament, but he wasn't always a spiritual man, he wasn't always a godly man, he was a religious man. And he even killed, in the name of his religion, Christians. And we have a testimony here in the book of Philippians of God's wonderful grace to who once was known Saul, now named Paul the Apostle. And we looked last week, just way of review those of you who weren't here, Paul's past glory. We looked at what he once had in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says in 3, 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And he unveiled for us what was his past glory. We looked at what he once lifted up or hailed at his status as a pure Jew. Because the Bible says there in Philippians 3 that he was not only a Jew by religion, circumcised the eighth day, but he was also a Jew by race because he was out of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. It even said a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he made a national, a tribal, and a parental claim to his Judaism. And we also saw his stature as a practicing Jew in verses 5 to 6. He was a fundamentalist Jew. He says as touching the law, he was a Pharisee above all others. Paul had also been a fanatical Jew because we see there that it says concerning zeal, what did he do? He persecuted the church. In the name of his religion, he was persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking that he was doing the right thing. And he had also been a fastidious Jew because when it, said came, when it came to the law, touching the righteousness which is of the law, he said that he, found, he was found blameless. And we talked about how that didn't mean sinless, but it meant blameless. No one was able to blame, point their finger at Paul and say, hey, you're a hypocrite in this area of the law. That wasn't true. He once thought himself as chief of the saints. But when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he realized that he was not chief of the saints at all, but he was the chief of sinners. Through God, he realized that he was the chief of sinners. See, that's what happens when someone encounters the Lord Jesus Christ with their life. It just shows them their own sinfulness, their own inability to save themselves. And we also looked at Paul's present gains, what he discounted. He wrote off all his human religion. In verse 7, it says, "...what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ." He gladly put aside his human religion for Christ. A lot of us have been saved out of a church, maybe we grew up in or whatever, and we never heard the gospel. It was all just about religion. See, the difference between Christianity and religion is is religion is is trying to do works to reach a holy God. That's what religion is. That's what all man-made religions are. They have an agenda. They have do's and don'ts. They have all these things that hopefully if you live by their religion, somehow you're going to improve your standing before a holy God. And that's just not true. Whereas Christianity, it's not about your religion. It's about your what? It's about your relationship. It's about who you are in Christ. The difference between religion and Christianity is a simple matter of words. You can represent any world religion by a simple two letter word, do, D O. It's what you do that matters in any religion of the world. People are religious, it's all about what they do, how they perform. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Christ, it's not a matter of what you do, it's a matter of what was done, D O N E, for you on Calvary. Big difference. Well, he wrote off all his human religion. He also wrote off all his human resources in verse 8. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but rubbish that I may win Christ. And in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul had the proper perspective when it came to living. And he was glad that he got a do-over with all the stuff in his past, all the stuff in his present. He put all that aside for the simple fact of knowing Christ. We also looked at what he desired. He desired salvational truth. And we talked about two kinds of truth. We mentioned two kinds of truth. Salvational truth and sanctifying truth. We're going to get into sanctifying truth today. But last week we looked at salvational truth. And that's what he Discovered there in verse 9, we discovered, it says, and be found in Him. See, that's salvational truth. That's a position that we can enjoy as Christians, beloved. As we start this new year afresh, I pray that you are in Him, that you are found in Him. Because salvation is mainly and largely a matter of one's position. The unsaved man is without Christ. He's without God. He's without hope. The saved man is found in him. And I I pray that this morning you find yourself in Christ, that you are in him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes the unbeliever. That describes someone who is outside of Christ, that is outside of that position. But It's not only a position to enjoy, but it's also a possession because he says in verse 9 that he didn't have his own righteousness, which is of the law. He discarded all his own righteousness. See, Paul was a man who once worked very hard to impress God with his behavior. He worked very hard to set himself aside And be found blameless and he took very much pride in his achievements that were made up by the the legalistic rules of his religion and the one thing that happened to Paul is when he met Christ he understood the significance of the nail prints in Christ's hands he understood the meaning of the cross he realized that there was a better way to achieve a perfect standing before God than just trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do your religion every day. He understood that. And so he took all his false righteousness that he found in his religion, and it says that he cast it aside. And it goes on in verse 9, it says, But that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, he discovered a flawless Righteousness in Christ. That's what you need if you're going to be saved. You need a righteousness that's going to stand up when times get tough. You're, you're, You're going to need a righteousness that's going to stand up against the accusations of the devil. You're going to need a righteousness that is definitely divine in nature. See, the secret to a flawless righteousness is not trying to do more stuff. The secret to a flawless righteousness is found in Christ. That's where we find our righteousness. Because you have to understand, we just celebrated Christmas. And you have to understand, from the moment he drew, the Lord Jesus drew his first breath as a baby. From that moment all the way until his last breath, when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 30-some years he lived on this earth. And he did always those things that pleased the Father. Always. I mean, he never sinned. He never sinned. He was perfect. He did everything perfectly. He fully fulfilled God's purpose for him. When Paul realized that, He had to look to Christ to find a flawless righteousness because he realized that his righteousness was flawed. Today, we want to look at, continue in our study here in Philippians 3, and we want to look at sanctifying truth. In verses 10 through the end there of uh, verse 14, I want to read that for us. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse, I'll start in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellent of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. First thing we see here in our text for this, this morning concerning sanctifying truth is Paul's the personal gain that he has. He says that I may know him. That I may know him. It's very important to understand that salvational truth is and sanctifying truth go hand in hand, beloved. You can't have one without the other. A consideration of salvational truth leads to a consideration of sanctifying truth. See, here we have the secret to a holy life. It says that I may know him. Speaking of Christ. See, no one can live a holy life without utter dedication to a life purpose of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there's been people through the centuries who have lived a single-minded devotion to much lesser goals. You think of Sir Edmund Hillary, who devoted himself, gave his life to press up that steep and treacherous slope of Mount Everest. You think of the founder of our United States, Christopher Columbus. He set his mind to sail westward. And in spite of the threat of mutiny, In spite of physical peril, he set his face westward to find a new world. So you have to understand that hundreds of other sailors sailed westward before Columbus, but none of them were so persistent. None of them were so long-standing as Columbus. He accomplished his goal, and his crew wasn't always on board. The difference between Columbus and his crew See, in times of testing, they were ready to give up. But he intended from the very onset to see this voyage through to its destination. You know, that's really a picture here, a good picture of Paul. Paul's goal, his master passion, you might say, was Christ, that I may know him. That's all that mattered to him. Paul had met him, changed his life, and now he wanted to know him even more. See, there's a World of difference between meeting somebody and knowing somebody, right? I think throughout the 25 years of ministry, i probably met hundreds, if not thousands of people. And usually I can't remember one from the other. You can come up to me next week and say, oh, yeah, and start talking. I'll say, well, what was your name again? Just very bad in that area. Not good at recalling names. My wife, on the other hand, is excellent in that area. She excels far beyond me. Sometimes we'll sit around and we'll talk about the, different, the four different churches we've been in. Remember this, this kid, this young kid who was in the youth group, and, and boy, she'll have to talk for quite a while, and then I'll think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember. Now it's ringing a bell. Some people just remember people right away. Other people struggle. But it's important to understand that here he's talking about Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. To know someone, you have to have a genuine interest, don't you? You know, if you go to Walmart later today and you're at the checkout counter, you may meet the checkout clerk, but you don't know the checkout clerk. And you're not gonna know the checkout clerk because you're not interested in knowing the checkout clerk. You just wanna get checked out and get out of the place. Sometimes you're standing in line and you wish more people had that kind of an attitude. There's some people that stand in line and they start talking about stuff and the line is long and they just keep talking well after they're rung up. It's kind of like you push forward in the line, you're kind of pushing them. Okay, you're done. Let me go, you know. To know someone requires a genuine interest. Getting to know a person involves spending quality time with that person. See, in a meaningful and a progressive relationship, each person in the relationship reveals himself they reveal their dislikes their likes their hopes their fears their ambitions maybe a little bit about their history their thoughts their feelings building an intimate relationship doesn't happen in a couple days we know that it takes a lifetime it's a lifetime of association and it's a commitment to that association Well, Paul here says that he wanted to know Christ. Knowing Christ was his main goal in life. What a wonderful goal it was. Paul wanted to know the one who created the stars, the one who controls the universe. He wanted to know the one who knows all there is to know about space technology and nuclear physics and biochemistry and electronics. He wanted to know the one who's lived down here, who experienced life to the full, who tasted of life's joys and tasted of life's sorrows, has seen life's possibilities and pains. He wanted to know the one who fully understands, who fully loves, who fully cares, who fully encourages and forgives. Paul wanted to know the one who is good, who is patient, kind, graceful, loving, helpful. In John seventeen three. You can turn over there if you want. I just want you to look at this verse with me for a second because this tells us what it means to know Christ. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, John pens, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know what eternal life is? It's knowing God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely there could be no greater goal for us to pursue this next year in 2010. No greater joy in all eternity than to know Christ in a more intimate and in a deeper level. But you know what, beloved, to know him we have to what? we have to spend time with him. We have to listen to him. We have to respond to him. We have to talk to him. And as we do, I promise you, our love for him will grow and we'll begin to be like him. We'll even begin to think like him. We'll even begin to act like he acted and possibly even say what he said. And then at last that day will break and the shadows will flee away. And the Bible says that one day, One day, beloved, we will see him face to face. And it says that we will be with him and we will be like him for all eternity. Boy, that I may know him. And considering that statement of Paul's consuming ambition, you know what, we tend to emphasize two words. Know and him. I want to encourage you that you emphasize a third word, that I Make it your personal goal in 2010 that I may know him. May Paul's goal be my goal in 2010. Not only a personal gain, but we see a progressive gain. He says in verses 10, in verse 10 there, And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformed unto his death. See, In life, when you come to know Christ, just as in the Bible when people came to know Christ, when they encountered Christ, there was a change. There was a result. There was something that that changed because they knew God through Christ. Well, Paul unpacks that for us here in verse 10. When you know Christ, you will know something of Christ's resurrection power. Trust me. The first result of knowing Christ is, Will be knowing his resurrection power. Think with me in the Bible the effect of the resurrection, the resurrection power had on Peter and on Thomas. Remember when, before Jesus went to Gethsemane, Simon Peter, remember the little interaction they had in his self confidence, even in his pride, when he assured the Lord that no matter how many other people, Lord, Default, no no matter how many other people turn aside, no no matter how many other people deny you, Lord, I never will. That's what his words were. Very bold statement to make. And that boastful pride suffered a speedy fall when Peter, by simply warming his hands around a fire with a, a simple little maid servant, was challenged. And the Bible says that he failed the test. He denied Christ, not just once, but three times. And the Bible says that he was crushed, and he was overwhelmed by his denial of Christ. And you can only imagine what's going through Peter's mind. And when the Lord looked at him for the last time, he saw Peter's haunting soul. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Doesn't say where he went. Some commentators say maybe he went to Gethsemane. But something happened in Peter's life as he drew away. And I think the risen Lord met him, obviously. We don't know what happened. Holy Spirit didn't reveal that through his word. But we see later in a scene by the lakeside, every detail is significant in John 21 talks about the coals of the fire, the Lord's use of the old name Simon. He, he used to be called Simon. He renamed him Peter. And then he asked him a threefold question, which recalled Peter's failure to the Lord. And Jesus asked, and he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Remember that? And with that question, the Lord rekindled Peter's fervor. And then Jesus gave him some instructions. Feed my sheep, follow me. And with those commands, the Lord reshaped Peter's future. Peter never forgot that scene by the lakeside. He recalled it. 2 Peter 1.14, John 21, 18-19. He, he, he recalled it instantly. Because that occasion gave him the power, the resurrection power to face martyrdom. The source of Peter's power was Christ's resurrection. He had a confident assurance that Jesus was really who he said he was and that he was truly alive. Stop and think with me about Thomas. Before he saw the risen Christ, he was plunged into depression over the death of his Savior. He was so depressed, the Bible says, that he wasn't even meeting with the other disciples. They were in the upper room and Thomas wasn't even there when the Lord showed up. I don't know if depression has ever touched your life, but it's probably touched most of our lives. And we've all maybe been at that point in life where, you know what, the morning dawns and the light comes through the the shades and we just want to put the pillow over our head and go back to sleep. We don't want to face another day. We lose our focus. We lose our drive. We lose our confidence that God is at work. Depression is a real thing, And it touched the life of Thomas, as it touches many of our lives at times.
0: We'll have more on the life of Paul and New Beginnings next week here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. And if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's the phone number, 650 366 Ninety-nine twenty-three. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We trust you'll have a blessed week. We'll look forward to seeing you here next week at this same time for another edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.